We begin by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by asking Allah Azza wa Jal to exalt the mention and to grant peace to our Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to his family and to his companions. We likewise begin by asking Allah Jalla fi to benefit us with what He teaches us and to teach us with what He or to teach us what will benefit us and to increase us in knowledge. What we have today is the last of this term, the last class of this term, inshaAllah ta'ala. And probably, and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best, the last class that I will be taking care of on a regular basis for this particular course uh, for the reason that I'm now traveling so much between the UK and the UAE that it's actually hard for me to give you a regular class but inshallah ta'ala we hope that the brothers at Jamiyat Darul are going to find a solution for that inshallah ta'ala and that the class will continue but for the term this is the end of the, the term inshallah after this will be the exam ta'ala, for those who are interested uh, the WhatsApp group the details for the exam and all of that will be posted on the WhatsApp group, inshallah ta'ala, for regarding the uh, exam questions. And I did promise some of the people who are following on YouTube that I would try to post the questions also on the YouTube channel, just to give people a chance who are not here in Dubai to be able to see what kind of questions we were going to ask. Today we're going to complete two surahs from the different surahs of the Qur'an and that is we're going to complete Surah Al-Humaza and Surah Al-Asq and that's going to bring us to four pages of the Mus'haf, right? Plus Surah Al-Fatiha, so that makes five pages of the Mus'haf that we completed by the grace of Allah Azza wa Surah Al-Humaza, it's most commonly known as the surah that's what most of the people who named the surah they named it by the first words in the surah and it's also known as surah al-humaza and it's also known as surah al-hutama it is a surah which is by consensus it's a surah that was revealed in Makkah. It's Makkiyah bil ijma'ah. The first word that we're going to deal with is the word waylun. Waylun. And there are two opinions I want you to be aware of. One is the opinion which is most commonly quoted by Al-Imam Al-Mujarir Al-Tabari Ta'ala in his tafsir and that is that wayl is a valley in Jahannam. Wadin fi Jahannam. 
And that is the opinion of Ibn Jarir al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala and some of the scholars of tafsir. Others, they said that wail is a, a term which is used or a word that is used to express that a person is in the, the, the punishment or that the, the bad things that are going to happen to a person. Like in English, we often say war, like war to you, like a word that is shows the, the disgrace and the, the terrible situation of the person that does it. So if you took a look at these two opinions, one of them is quite specific, that whale is a valley in Jahannam. And another is more general, that whale is a word you use to express the terrible, terrible things that this person has done, how terrible it is. Wailun, woe to you. So this is going to criticize a certain type of person. And the first thing that we learn about this type of person is that they are likulli for every humazatin lumaza for every humaza lumaza and these two words humaza and lumaza are two words which are actually quite similar and the scholars differ a lot about the difference between them and I was listening to Sheikh Dr. Khalid al-Sabt explaining this surah and I really like what the Sheikh did in the sense that he said there are so many different opinions here you have opinions which say that humaza is one and lumaza is the other and then the exact opposite that lumaza is one humaza is the other and opinions that lumaza is with the tongue and humaza is with by direction and that lumaza is with the tongue and humaza is with the, and, and all kinds of combination let's start by just getting a general idea if we take all of these opinions and just break them all down they all revolve around riba. They all revolve around backbiting. Generally speaking, backbiting in the most general sense of the word. Backbiting in the most general sense of the word. Some of the scholars, they said, they said that Al-Humaza is the one who does this to people's faces, like in people's presence. And Al-Lumaza is the one who does it behind their back. And the opposite as well is said. Some of them said that Al-Humaza is the one who does it by action. Backbiting by, by action. So for example, he, he bil ishara, or it said bil ayn, like he, he just winks at them, or he makes fun of someone's height, and he's, you know, or he makes fun of the way somebody talks, or he makes faces. And the other one is said that Al-Lumaza is the one who does it bil-lisan, with his tongue. And some said the opposite also. But if we bring all of these things together, we get that Al-Lumaza to Al-Lumaza is the one who is, and, and this is, uh, this has Siqatul Mubalaqa, it has a, the word is ind indicates that it's done a lot, that this person does it a lot. They frequently backbite people, they frequently make fun of people, they frequently insult people. 
They do it by their actions, like by gestures, and they do it with their tongue. They do it by gestures and they do it with their tongue. They do it in front of people's faces and they do it behind people's back. And generally speaking, if you take that and you bring it all together, that is Somebody might ask a question, how can you backbite someone to their face? Isn't the idea of backbiting what you say in, in absence? If you look at the definition of the Prophet وسلم, he said, It is to mention about your brother something that your brother wouldn't like. To say something about your brother, something that you wouldn't like. Tayyib, those scholars who say it's only behind the back, what did they use then? If the Prophet didn't say it's only behind the back, he said, That you tell, you speak about your brother what he would not like you to say. They say that the word behind the back is taken from the lugha, from the word ghiba, because the word ghiba is from the same madda, the same origin as ghaib. Done when he's not there. So they said, from this we understand it is it's to say about your brother what he wouldn't like when he's when he's not present. But here, can also cover saying about him what he doesn't like in front of his face by widening the meaning a little bit, a little bit beyond the technical definition of backbiting and just broadening it a little bit. So to say about your brother what he would not like, whether in front of him or whether behind his back, whether it is by gestures or whether it is by saying things about him. Allah said, or Jahannam will be for, or a valley in Jahannam will be for the one who does this. This is their, this is what they busy themselves with. Because Al-Humazatul-Lumazah, it indicates that they do it a lot. This is their, هذا شأنهم, this is what they do every day. this is what makes them busy in the day and the night. Is Al-Hamz Wal-Lamz. Ridiculing people, speaking about people, backbiting people, making fun of people, gesturing, talking. This is what makes them busy. This is what they spend a lot of their time doing. And this shows you that Al-Hamzu Wal-Lamz are both from the Kaba'ir, from the major sins, because Allah threatened Jahannam for them. What is a major sin? It is any sin for which Allah Azza wa Jal threatened his punishment or his anger or his curse or the hellfire or that Allah said about it that it is kabir or azeeb or any of these words that it's severe or that it's great in the sight of Allah. All of these are major sins. So here Allah specifically threatened Jahannam. Therefore, it is a kabira from the kabair. Notice that the Prophet ﷺ here, when he said, He didn't say that you're slandering him. This is when it is true. 
You're ridiculing something that is true. You're speaking about something that is really true. It really exists in that person. But that person wouldn't like it. And we hear all so many excuses about this. Or I don't think they would mind if I said, if I said it to them. I've said it to their face. And this is an excellent refutation, by the way, for anyone when you say, Akhi, don't backbite him. He says, it's okay, I said it to his face. Say, Because al-humazatil-lumaza covers the one who says it to his face and behind his back. So this argument that it's not backed by him because I said it to him yesterday to his face, it's still backbiting. Whether you said it to his face, because it's still that you say about your brother what he would not like you to say, and your sister. Because the Prophet said, Women are the full sisters of men, so the rulings for men and women are the same unless there is an evidence. So it is to mention about your brother or your sister something which they would not like to their face, then in which case we call it making fun or ridicule, or behind their back, in which case we call it ghibah, we call it backbiting. Allah threatened Jahannam for this. And it is one of the sins which is easy to fall into. It's easy to fall into and it's easy to get carried away in. Very easy. It's not a sin which is difficult. You know, if you think about some of the kabair, they are sins which are, let's be honest, difficult to do, right? It's pretty difficult to kill a person. I don't mean physically difficult, I mean mentally, I mean uh, psychologically, physically, you know, it's not an easy thing to kill a person. But it's very, very, very easy to be to be the person who just says no things about people, makes fun of people, ridicules people to their face behind their back. So this person is, in, is threatened with Jahannam. And of course we say as Ahlul Sunnah that anyone threatened by Jahannam for a sin, if they die without tawbah, their sin is taht al-mashi'ah. It is within the, forgive, the will of Allah. If He wills, He will forgive it. If He wills, He will punish it. But it is deserving of punishment and people will be punished for it. There are people who will be punished for it. It's deserving of a valley in Jahannam. So it's very important that you take account for what you say. And one of the ways you can do this is being quiet not speaking too much. Say something good or don't say anything at all. As the Prophet said, whoever believes in Allah in the, in the last day, let him say something good, let him be quiet. So it's very easy to fall into. Then Allah he mentioned another characteristic. الَّذِي جَمَعَ مَالًا وَعَدَّدًا In some qira'at, الَّذِي جَمَّعَ مَالًا وَعَدَّدًا With a sukoon, with a shadda on the meat in some of the different styles of reading. But the majority they read, الَّذِي جَمَعَ مَالًا وَعَدَّدًا The one who gathers up wealth, gathers up wealth, وَعَدَّدًا Let's talk about gathering the wealth first, before he counts the wealth. He gathers the wealth. It's said that the meaning of gathers the wealth here, especially the qira'ah jamma'ah, 
is that this is his concern. Not like the Muslim who the dunya is your, the dunya is your khadima, it's a servant for you. It's there to serve your religion. We get some money so that we can do the things that Allah commanded us to do from the sadaqat and the zakah and so that we can provide for our family and so that we can worship Allah as Allah commanded us to do. That's why we work. But our concern is not jam'ul It's not just bringing all the money together. One of the other things you can take from jam'ul is that he's not giving his zakah. Because the one who gives his zakah, you don't say about him, jamma You don't say that he's a one who hoards his wealth. Hoarding your wealth is something you do when you don't give the haq. You don't give its right. You don't give the zakah. And you don't give the sadaqat. So this person, apart from insulting people and backbiting people and slandering people and going around with, with namima, with gossip, among people, he also is someone who hoards his wealth and holds on to it and he doesn't give his zakah. And he counts it. So now it's interesting, is it allowed for us to count our wealth? As a Muslim, if you have money, is it allowed for you to be on top of your finances, your balances and to know how much money you have in each account? It's needed in the sense of your zakah, right? To be able to give your zakah and things. But the one again who either this is his business, this is what makes him busy. How much money did I earn? You see some people like this, some investors in the stock market. How much did I earn last minute, last 10 minutes, last half an hour? How much did I earn the last hour, in the last day? What's my trend for earning over? The thing that concerns him is that he's counting up his wealth. That's what he busies himself with. Some of the scholars mentioned that he's the one who counts his wealth all the time. It's not just at the end of the month he checks my money came in, my bills came out, or he checks on the day that his bill is due, yeah, okay, my finance is okay. He's someone who all day he's there, let me count it again. One, two, three, okay, let me count it again. And that's what makes him busy. And more than that, it said, He's the one who counts it in front of the poor people. And this is worse. He's the one who in front of the poor people and the in, Amam al-Nas, not even the fuqara, the scholars, they said Amam al-Nas in front of the people. He's like, this much money today, looking for the people to praise him or, or looking for the people to say, or for the poor people, in front of them, he pulls out his big wad of money. He doesn't give them. Why doesn't he give them? He's, he's not going to give anything because he's hoarding it. But he pulls out the big wad of notes and he just counts it in front of them. Knowing that they're needy, but he just counts it. Puts it back in his pocket. Five minutes later, he pulls it out again. Counts it again. And this could be true also for some things that people do when they show off with, with the wealth that they have. You see some people like that. Like in front of people, they have something maybe expensive, expensive watch or expensive, something expensive, and they keep bringing it out in front of the people in order just to make the people say something. It's not that he wants to tell the time, it's just every time he wants to bring it out in front of everybody. No, they didn't say anything this time, let me try again. Bring it out in front of everybody. 
So some of the scholars, they say it's like this. He's a person who counts his wealth in front of the people. Or they said, it means he enumerates it, like he keeps talking about it. Like, okay, so I've got this much in this bank account, and this much in this bank account, and this much in this bank account, and this much in this thing, and this much of this, and this much of gold, and this much of silver. So he is always talking about it. All of these things are true about this person. He thinks that his wealth will make him live forever. And how many people did Allah Azza wa put them into a trial because they thought that their wealth would last forever. And they thought that they would never die. This is never ever going to stop. The money is just going to keep rolling in. The good life is going to keep on going. I'm never going to die. That's what he thought. He thinks that his wealth is what will make him live forever. But here I have a question. What will make you live forever? If it's not your wealth that will make you live forever, what, what is the thing that Allah has made the cause? The one you can only live forever if Allah sustains you, Al-Qayyum. But what has Allah made the cause for you to live forever? Al-Amal Salih. Righteous deeds. That is what will make a person, it will make him live forever. Righteous deeds. Because those righteous deeds, if they're accepted by Allah, they will be a cause for the mercy of Allah that Allah will enter that person into Jannah, into Jannah, into Jannah Khuld, the everlasting paradise. But a person's wealth won't make them. Allahumma, unless he uses his wealth to gain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in this case, he doesn't think that his wealth will make him live forever. He thinks that his amal salih, his sadaqat, could be a reason for, him, for Allah to have mercy on him and enter him into Jannah. Maybe his sadaqat, maybe his, the good that he did with it. But he doesn't think that this, having this money in my pocket is going to make me live forever. يَحْسَبُ أَنَّ مَا لَهُ Kalla. Kalla, we hear a lot in the Quran, so it's a good idea for you guys to be aware of what kalla is. Kalla is a statement which means that it's not true. No, it's not like that. But it's a statement which includes zajr. It includes sort of rebuking the person. So it's not just saying no, it's not like that. There's a difference. You know, someone said, my wealth will make me live forever. No, brother, that's not true. That's not kalla. Because it doesn't have a rebuke in it. Kalla is no. No way. No. You're, it's rebuking the person as well as saying that it's not true. Kalla. No way. No way. Kalla means he will be cast or thrown. And here it is, uh, it is, there is a, a tawqeed or a ta'qeed, a tawqeed on the end, there is an emphasis. So the emphasis here is that by Allah, wallahi, 
by Allah, by Allah, he is going to be cast into Al-Hutama. Al-Hutama is one of the names of Jahannam. And Allah is going to now describe Jahannam. Jahannam has names, many names mentioned in the Quran. Maybe it's a little research, you can try and find five names of Jahannam, for example. You can try and see if you can find some names, or maybe more, you can maybe say more than, than that. Whatever you can find from the names of Jahannam. Obviously we know Al-Nar, the fire, and I mentioned to you Jahannam, and I mentioned to you Al-Hutama. See if you can find five more after that, for example, of the names that Allah calls Jahannam. But why is it called Al-Hutama? What is the, the, um, the reason for it to be called Al-Hutama? Because each of these names uh, regarding the, the Hellfire, each of them, it has a, a reason for it or it has a, a, a meaning to it. And the meaning here is that يحطم, it crushes what is within it. It crushes it. So this, this the ha and the ta and the mean here, they mean to crush something. So it's called al-hutama because it crushes what is within it. But here, what will be thrown into the fire? The person or his money? Here, many of the scholars join between them and they said, if you look at some of the other qira'at, which are not mutawatira, they are not like main readings of the Qur'an, but some of the things that people used to read, you can actually find evidence that both of them will be thrown into the fire. Him and his wealth. And that has an evidence in Surah Al-Tawbah also, when it talks about the person who withholds the zakah, that it will be put into the fire of Jahannam. It's going to be used to brand his face and his neck and his side. And his back is going to be branded, like the wealth is going to be heated up in Jahannam and then it's going to be burnt onto his skin. But here there is an evidence, there is an indication that both him and his wealth will be thrown into the fire. Because here it mentions his wealth. It could be his wealth that is thrown into the fire. He thinks his wealth will make him live forever. No, it will be thrown or no, he will be thrown. But there are some recitations that indicate no, both will be thrown. Both of them are going to be thrown into the fire. Into the crushing. Into Al-Hutama. What will make you know what is Al-Hutama? Because the word, they know what the word means in terms of a crushing. But is it the fire? Is it a separate punishment on the Day of Judgment? What is it? It is now Allah, it is the fire of Allah that is muqada, it never runs out of fuel. What is the fuel? The fuel of the fire is people and stones. People and stones. And included in that is the jinn. 
As for the disobedient evildoers among them, they will be firewood for Jahannam. People from the men and the jinn and stones. And it never runs out of fuel. You know when you have a fire, you light a campfire or you light a fire out in the desert, eventually the fire burns down. Eventually it will go cold. But the fire of Allah is muqada. It will always burn. And the intensity is 70 times the intensity of the fire of this world. It's so intense that Allah said about it, The one that burns all the way to the heart. Now think about this. We know about burns, right? You have first degree burns, second degree burns, third degree burns. You have the burn which sort of burns the upper layer of the skin and the one that goes a bit deeper and the one that goes all the way, you know, fully deep. And have you ever seen what a burn victim looks like? But none of those burns reach the heart. None of the burns in this world, they reach. Like that a person can still be alive and the burning reaches their heart. If the burning reaches their heart in this world, they will, they will have died from the, from, the, from the fire, from the burning. Allah Azza wa Jal will keep them alive even though they're not alive in the sense of, of a good in a good sense. They will not die and they will not live. And Allah will keep them until the fire reaches their heart and then put their skin back all over again and burn them again. Abad al-Abad, forever and ever and ever. And the fire is just burning them until it reaches their heart and then again. Some of the scholars mentioned, uh, slightly different than that, they said that the fire touches the heart, meaning, meaning the person feels the burning of the fire in the heart. And there are other opinions as well. Why the heart? The scholars say because this is It's the place of their aqeedah that put them in Jahannam. That's where their aqeedah, their shirk, their polytheism, their making partners with Allah, it, it was in their heart. So it is befitting that the heart should be burned, not the skin only. Because the skin was only giving truth to what was in the heart. The heart was the place of their aqeedah where they had their belief about Allah, their evil belief and their disbelief, it was in their heart. So Allah made a fire that will burn them all the way to the heart and then their bodies and their skins will be replaced and they will burn again all the way to the heart. And this is where it gets worse. Muqsada, it means mughlaqa. It will be closed and they will be locked inside. Now, I think one of the things I took from the Shaykh was explaining this very nicely. Imagine what it would be like to be in a room and the room is set on fire. You start to, to be affected by the smoke, the oxygen goes, you're struggling to breathe, the fire is burning you. You rush for the door and you go to open the door, but the door's locked. 
and you just stay inside the room from wall to wall until you burn to death. That's the example that Allah gave for the fire. It's locked upon them, closed upon them. But the way Mu'sata is even more than that, it's like claustrophobic. They can't, they can't run to the other side of the fire to escape it. They can't get out of it, they can't go under it, they can't take a breath away from it for a minute. It's not like it's coming at them in, in, in like uh, in, in balls or in, in rolls that they can just, you know, they can wait for the next one to come and take a breath. It's Mu'sada, it's completely locked. They're locked in a tiny place where they've got no escape and that fire just burns them to the heart and there's no way they can move left or right or up or down. It's locked, closed over them. Now here is where, this is the one ayah which I, I think the tafsir of the ayah is the hardest. The words are, are quite easy. Al-amad is a column or a pillar that goes, you know, anything that's kind of straight, like it could be a straight uh, plank of, of wood that is upright, a pillar, a piece of metal that is upright. That's what an amad is. It's, it's a, a column of something. And mumaddada, it means it's extended. It's very, very long. It's been extended. But what are these extended columns? Are they a part of Jahannam? Is the person inside of them or are, is Jahannam inside of them? This is where the scholars differed and in reality, we, we can only say Allahu A'lam, but we will mention some of the more common interpretations. One is that the people are locked inside of these uh, amad, inside of these columns. The people are inside of them. Fi amad, meaning the people are in, or the person, al-humaza, al-lumaza, is inside of the amad, inside of the column, like boxed in to the column, and the fire is burning them when they're boxed into boxed inside of that column and they can't escape. The other opinion is that the column is what stops them from escaping. They're not inside of it, but they, the column is what is locked, is what has made Jahannam Muqsada. The column is what has made Jahannam locked. Like if you were to take a, uh, like, something and like a broomstick and, and, and jam it under a door handle. And again, we, we don't know what Jahannam, we can't give that example, but just from the point of taqrib al-fahm, so you understand the idea. If you were to take a broom, a broom handle and jam it under, the, under a door so that it jams the door shut, some of the scholars say, this is the meaning. Fi amadin these amad mumaddada, these huge extended columns are blocking their exit or blocking the door from being opened. Others, they said, these columns are the fire. The fire, if you observe it, it comes in extended columns of fire. And they are within these columns of fire. The columns are not metal or wood, but they are, they are fire. Others said the columns are metal. Another opinion is that Jahannam is inside of these columns. Meaning Jahannam is boxed inside of these Amadin Mumaddada, Jahannam itself is, is inside of it, so it keeps it locked. 
after Allah has taken out whoever has been decreed to be taken out, Jahannam is locked and boxed in inside of these Amadim Mumaddada, inside of these columns. So it's like they're, they're, they enclose, Jahannam is enclosed within them. And in reality, we don't have an evidence to prefer one of these over the other. Well, we don't have a, an evidence to prefer one over the other. Not at least an easy one that we can give. It's very grammatical. Like, is the grammar here that it's referring to the fire or it's referring to the people? Or and is the amad the fire itself? Or is the amad what the people are inside of it? Or is the amad what is the jahannam is inside of it? Is, is a lot to do with Arabic language, but also there isn't a really clear to me with my limited knowledge. There isn't, I can't see a clear way that you can explain which of them it is, except to say maybe the majority or whatever, but in reality, Allah is best, but we mentioned the different possibilities and you really feel the fear that is within the surah and how Allah terrifies people with the threat of this punishment for being from those people, Al-Humaza al people who insult others, who backbite others, who go around spreading gossip to other people behind their back, in front of their face. They do it by signs and symbols and gestures. They do it by their tongues and the words that they say. People who gather money and don't give their zakat and they show off with the wealth that they have in front of other people or they're constantly busy with their money thinking that their money will make them live forever and ignoring what Allah has made a cause for a person to live forever in Jannah, which is Al-Amal Salih, righteous deeds. And Allah mentions the crushing nature of the hellfire. So it's not just that it burns, but it also يحتم, it, it, it is Al-Hutama, it crushes as well as burns. There is pressure, crushing pressure as well as burning fire and then it reaches all the way to the heart and the person will feel it all the way to their heart and then their skins will be replenished for them to feel the adhuqul adab for them to feel the punishment once again and this is a surah that most people have memorized right like i would say the vast majority of muslims would probably have memorized up to surah al-asr most people like even if you only know people say i only know 10 surahs or 11 like usually most people would have memorized surah al-humaza and yet we read it and we just read it like that, you know? The feeling of it, the meaning of it. Like even myself, I just find myself reading it like that. And I'm just, I know the words, but it's just, I'm just reading it like that. And I'm not thinking about it as if like your nafs can't, can't, can't manage, you know, to, to sit. You have to bring yourself to actually force yourself to picture al hutam the one that is locked and closed you have to bring that into your mind and wallahi that's enough as a threat of punishment to make us change these habits of talking about other people backbiting other people speaking about other people making fun of other people ridiculing other people gesturing you know, all of these different things that people do, gossip and rumors. And I'm going to finish this surah, we're going to go to Surah Al-Asr, with one point. How much worse is it 
there are some people who are from Al-Humazat Al-Lumazat and they believe that they're getting close to Allah Azza wa Jal by doing it. They believe they're actually getting near to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala by insulting and by finding faults and flaws and by backbiting for example, the ulama, the people of knowledge, and the talabatul ilm, the people who are as-salihin, the righteous people, they're taking those people and they are thinking I'm doing something good. Spending all their day and night with their evil tongues and their evil hands, writing evil words and saying evil words about the awliya of Allah Azza wa Believing that this is going to get them near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you see these people, know them. Inshallah, you will not see them. But if you come across someone, the only thing that keeps him busy all day and night is al-hamzu wal-lams, and not about the general people, but about the ulama and the salihin. They know these people. And remember, how much worse is that somebody does this and they do it? Thinking that they are doing something really beloved to Allah. Wow, I'm really protecting the religion. Allah, this is even worse. So don't be from these people and don't be fooled by these people. And don't let it go into your head. And don't expect any rushd from them, any good from them, or any wisdom from them. Just keep away, keep your distance, and don't be sucked into that vibe of spending all day and all night looking for people's faults. Some of the people, they said, I sit and I watch videos all night looking for that mistake of that Adam. The scholar looking for him to make a mistake so I can bring it out and I can insult him and I can call him this and that. So don't be fooled by this because the shaitan fools people in different ways, right? Have you thought about that? How the shaitan fools the righteous person. Brothers who are upon sunnah, they want to do good, righteous people. Shaitan doesn't say to them, you know, spread gossip and rumors about, he says you're doing something good for the religion of Allah. And then he makes them fall into it from the point of Righteousness from the point of trying to do something good, a deen, trying to protect the religion, and from the point of a hudud, refutation, which is a necessary part of our religion, that we should explain the mistakes that exist. But he fools them to do it without knowledge and without proper guidance. And so they end up falling into these people, even though they're trying to be from the people who defend the religion and protect the religion. And we ask Allah for his safety and we ask Allah to protect you and I from being from the people who this is their characteristic and we ask Allah to protect you and I from the fire. Now we're going to come to Surah Al-Asr and the statement of Allah Wow here is Lil Qasim, it's, it's an oath, right? It's a, Allah swears by whatever he wants from his creation but as for us, we only swear by Allah, Jalla We only swear by Allah. As for Allah, He swears by whoever He wants from, or whatever He wants from His creation. 
And Allah only swears by something which is important. He doesn't swear by something that is minor in the sight of Allah. So whenever you hear that Allah swore by something, فَلَا أُقْسِمُ Swear by Or Allah said, wa, And it ends in a kasra. Well, asri, then it ends in a kasra. Then Allah only swore by something that's extremely important. Well, asri. What is al-asr? Many uh, different ways of explaining, but we're just going to cover two opinions. One is that al-asr is time, generally speaking. It is a dahr. It is the passage of time. The time in which people have been given to act. Allah Azza wa Jal, from among the most valuable things or the most valuable resource, we can say, that Allah Azza wa Jal has given you are those limited number of breaths that you have. Every one of us, Allah Azza wa Jal has given us a limited number of breaths that we're going to take. Wallah, you're not going to breathe one more time or one less time. Wallahi wa rabbil ka'bah. Not one of you is going to breathe a single breath more than what Allah Azza wa Jal has decreed for you or a single breath less. You have your time that Allah has given you. Use it for what you want. You're free. Use it as you like. Use it for good. Use it for evil. Use it for a mix of both. That is the resource Allah has given you. He hasn't given everybody money. He hasn't given everybody health. He hasn't given everybody resources in that way. But the one resource he's given you is, this is your ajal. This is your time that you have. This is your ajal, your time you've been given. That's what it is. There you go. You choose what you're going to do with it. Wal-Asr. The second opinion is that Al-Asr refers to Al-Asr Al-Ma'roof, the, the, the time of Asr, which is from Salatul Asr until Maghrib. Al-Ashi, from Asr until Maghrib. Because of the virtue of this time and its importance in the sight of Allah. Guard your prayers, especially the middle prayer. Aisha, she used to recite radiallahu anha. She used to write or she used to recite or write, she wrote in her mushaf that the Salat al-Wusta, it is Salat al-Asr. It's the Asr prayer. It's the Asr time. So that time is very, very significant in the sight of Allah. Some of the scholars, and if I'm not mistaken, Ibn Jarir, Tabari, and Allah knows best if I can remember if Ibn Jarir, but some of the scholars, Ta'ala, they said both of them. There is no tanaqut, there's no contradiction. Allah swears by both of them. By the time you've been given, by the time you've been given, and by this specific time, the time of Asr, between Asr and Maghrib, and it's a very valued time. And whenever you hear that, maybe it's a good idea for you to go back to the Quran and try and find ayat which talk about the value of Salat al-Asr, or the time between Asr and Maghrib. Or a hadith, like the time when your du'a is accepted on a Friday, being between Asr and Maghrib according to one of the stronger opinions about the time when your du'a is accepted on a Friday, and so on. 
So don't waste this time between Asr and Maghrib. It's very valuable in the sight of Allah Azza wa But generally, primarily, it means, and the majority, they said that it means time in general. The time that you have, your time that you have to do good or to do bad. Wal Asr, I swear by time. Man, and here it means mankind in general, generally mankind, are in a state of khusr. Khusr originally is a word used for tijar, for business. And this is the first point I want you to make. Have you ever thought, if anyone asks you, you know, what your job is in this life or what your purpose is in this life, you can reply to them, I'm a businessman. I'm a businessman. All of you, all of you are businessmen, businesswomen, every one of you. Because Allah Azza wa Jal, you're doing business with Allah. Trade with Allah. Allah Azza wa Jal purchased your, you and your wealth. Inna Allah ashtara Allah purchased from the believers themselves and their wealth be in exchange for Jannah. So you're doing tijara now. Allah gave you a resource. What's the resource? Your lifespan. And Allah said, go and do business with your lifespan. Buy Jannah with it or buy something else. You can buy a khutamah, you can buy the fire with it. Go and trade your time that you have. Go and do tijara with the breaths that you have. Go and do business with it. But if you want, Allah is willing to buy from you yourself and your wealth, be anna lahumul jannah, and He will give you jannah in return. Be so happy and glad for this business that you're doing. This, this, this sale that you made, this sale that you have just made, that you sold yourself for Jannah. What an excellent sale that is. What an amazing transaction. You'll never do better business than that. Sell yourself and sell your wealth in exchange for Jannah. That's the best business you can ever do. And Allah mentions in many times in the Quran that it's a bay'ah, it's a business transaction. And Allah mentions, about the kafirin, the disbelievers, their business didn't work out. It didn't make them a profit. What business? The business of what you're going to spend your time on. The business of what you're going to spend your life doing. Their business didn't benefit them, it didn't bring them anything, it didn't give them anything. They didn't make any profit. So many times Allah describes this as a business. So it's useful to use the word khusr here. You're making a loss. You're a loss-making person. Like you know how you have a loss-making business? Or oh, my business is a loss-making corporation. It's a loss-making entity. It's making a loss right now. You, ayyuhal insan, O man, you are loss in a loss. You're in a state of loss making. You're in the red, in the loss you've lost. You're losing. And that's the general state of an insan. Because Allah, yeah, until now, hasn't made the exception. That's the general. 
general rule is you're going to lose. You're going to lose and lose badly. And you're in a state of loss. And that's how Allah said at the end of Surah Al Ahzab we offered the responsibility of following the Sharia to the heavens and the earth and the mountains. And they declined, they refused, they declined to take it on board. They were scared of it. And mankind took it on. Indeed, he was Valuman Jahula. He was in a state of extreme oppression and extreme ignorance. We mentioned this, I think, in Surah Al-Fatiha, maybe. The extreme oppression and ignorance, which is the natural, you can say, like, inclination of the nafs if you don't bring Islam to correct it. Your fitra wants to worship Allah. It's always going off to one way or the other. And what it really, what your nafs really wants is, it's, it's going to go into dhulm and jahl. It's going to go into oppression and ignorance unless that nafs is guided by Islam. As for the one who fears standing in front of his Lord and he stops his nafs from its desires, Jannah will be his destination. So the state of a person, if they are not guided by Islam, if they don't fall under the exception which is going to come, is they are going to lose. Some of the scholars, they said the word loss here, it means shah, it means evil. They're going to be evil. Indeed, mankind is evil. They're going to be evil like that or involved in evil. And some of them said other things. They said uh, other things than, than, than that. But here what we want to understand is that this is what is going to happen if you don't fall under the exception which is going to come. Allah Azza wa Jal has chosen from His servants except for Allah's chosen servants. Allah has chosen some people to not be loss makers, to be people who will make the best profit you have ever made in your life. Allah has chosen some people to be people who will make that profit, best profit. Those people are the ones that Allah Azza wa Jal describes now. They are people, the only people who will not lose. Everybody else will lose. Everybody else has wasted their life. Everybody else has wasted their time. Everyone else's business has collapsed and failed, except for these people. Except those who believe. Those who believe. And belief, Ikhwani, it can only come with knowledge. So implied in this surah is except those who learn and believe. That has to be implied in the surah. Because it's not possible to have that Iman illa except with knowledge. And it's not possible to raise it except with knowledge. And it's not possible to keep it except with knowledge. 
So from the lawazim, the, necessity, the, the, the necessary things that have to come for that iman to be there is knowledge. For that iman and for that amal salih. Tayyip. Iman. What is iman? Iman in the ahli sunnati wal jama'ah. We're going to learn this. Maybe I might ask this in the exam. What is iman according to ahli sunnah? What makes you from ahli sunnah when it comes to iman? The belief about Iman. What's our aqidah about Iman? First of all, that Iman is comprised of statements and actions. Second of all, that Iman goes up and it goes down. So number one is that Iman, and if we want to make it easier, let's say beliefs, statements and actions, just to, just to make it easier. And you can say statements and actions because beliefs are just statements. Beliefs, statements, and actions. Some of the scholars, they expanded it. They said, قَوْلُ الْقَلْ وَقَوْلُ الْلِسَانِ وَعَمَلُ الْقَلْ وَعَمَلُ الْلِسَانِ وَعَمَلُ الْجَوَارِحِ They said five things. And all of this is the same thing, by the way, so you don't need to worry too much. They said statements of the heart. Statements of the heart are the things which you believe to be true in your heart. It's like your heart made a statement, like a mission statement. Yeah? Like, a, you know, this is my heart says this, my heart believes this, this is my statement, this is who I am, this is my manifesto. The manifesto in your heart is your aqidah. That's what your aqidah is. It is the manifesto in your heart. It describes what you are, what you believe, who you are. What kind of Muslim are you? That's your aqidah, that's the manifesto, that's qawlul qalb. Wa qawlul lisan, and the statement of the tongue. The statement of the tongue is when the tongue expresses the belief which is in the heart. The tongue, and he reads from the manifesto, and the, the tongue expresses the belief in the heart by saying, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam So when your heart believes something and holds something to be true, you have beliefs, things that you, that make you the Muslim that you are, that define who you are as a Muslim, your tongue expresses that through qawlul lisan. But it's not, that's not the only thing you use your tongue for. Your tongue also does general worship like dhikr, dua, reciting the Quran. This is amal al-lisan, the action of your tongue. Then you have the action of the heart, which is the things your heart also does other things. Your heart doesn't just have aqidah, doesn't just have a list of beliefs. Allah is above his arsh. The sahaba were the best of the people after the prophets. It's not, that's not the only thing in your heart, it's just a list of beliefs. Your heart also has actions like hope and fear and love and tawakkul. So your heart has actions too, right? So they are the actions of the heart. The actions of the tongue are the things your tongue does apart from, you know, expressing the shahadatayn and the belief that you have. The tongue has actions like dhikr, dua, reciting the Qur'an. They are the actions of the tongue and the actions of the limbs. Anyone who takes any of those out of Iman has gone out of the belief of Ahl Sunnah with regarding to Iman. Anyone who says, my Iman is in my heart, we say to this person, explain to me what do you mean? Do you mean that actions have no part of Iman? Then I'm sorry, this is not the belief of the Muslims. Or do you believe 
that you, or do you mean that iman is the you know it's it's it, the basis of my iman is 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 what I hold in my heart from the statements and actions and my limbs follow on from that my limbs continue and, and express it that's a different matter but we should never ever say the statement iman is just in my heart you know my iman is in my heart this is a statement of the murji'ah in reality this group who deviated with regard to iman with this kind of like you know people say oh, why, why are you judging me why are you looking at me for and, and saying things about me my iman is in my heart la wallah your iman is in your heart and on your limbs and if your limbs are showing terrible things then wallah don't think your heart is pure Indeed in the heart, a, indeed in the body there's a piece of flesh. If it's upright, the whole body will be upright. If it's corrupt, the whole body will be corrupt. And it's the heart. You can't have righteous, you can't have corrupt actions and a righteous heart. Your actions reflect your heart and they're a part of your iman. It goes up and down. It goes up by obedience and down with disobedience. It can go up until it completes itself. Like the Prophet mentioned about uh, many men completed their Iman. And no one completed their Iman among the women except for Maryam, Hunata Imran, and Asiya, the wife of uh, Imra'ata Fir'aun, the wife of Fir'aun. So it can go up all the way and it can go down until nothing remains of it at all. That is Iman. So Iman requires knowledge, right? Because all these actions are coming. So why did Allah mention Iman and Amal Saleh? By the way, I didn't mention at the beginning is the Surah Makkiyah or Madaniyah. This the scholars differ about this. We'll come to the end. In the end, we try to remember to mention about whether it's Makkiyah or Madaniyah and also the story of Musaylim al-Kaddab regarding this uh, surah, we try to remember to mention at the end. Um, here though, why mention Amal Salih? Because isn't Al-Amal Salih part of Iman? We just said Ahl Sunnah agreed unanimously that righteous deeds are a part of Iman. So why mention them separately. If you remember, we mentioned Surah Al-Fatiha, the similar, a similar thing happens. You have something general, dhikrul am, mention of the general thing, then the specific example from it. So Allah mentioned it for its importance and Allah mentioned it also so that people understand that it's a part of your iman and to emphasize that you saying Iman is in my heart and Allah knows what my heart is and Allah knows my heart is pure is not going to get you out of the khusr, out of the loss. What will get you out of the loss is the Iman that comprises of Amal Salih, righteous deeds. Right? So we understood. We hear a lot of people, I mean, good people, Allah bless them, and we hear a lot of people, you know, saying things like, oh, you know, Allah knows my heart and, you know, I'm, I'm not people I'm not you know my don't look at my actions and Allah's you know my heart is pure and things like that this is not to you know this is to explain to people why this is wrong you can't just say iman by the meaning of 
a tasdiq, which is not really the, the, the real meaning, like linguistically, it's not the only meaning of Iman. You can't just say, you know, I believe that Allah is my Lord, and that's what's going to get me out of Al-Khusr. What's going to get you out of the loss is believing that Allah is your Lord, and saying that Allah, you believe that Allah is your Lord, and fearing Allah, hoping in Allah, loving Allah, remembering Allah, reciting the Qur'an, and doing good deeds with your limbs. That's what's going to get you out of it, not just what people mistakenly think that Iman is limited to. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالصَّرِ Here Allah Azzawajal alludes to the fact that Al-Imanu Wajib that is obligatory Iman can't be completed Iman is you have obligatory Iman you have voluntary I mean recommended Iman you have Iman Wajib Iman Mustahab you have Iman which and you have if you want to think of it as three levels it's good Islam, Iman, Ihsan. In this context, Islam is the minimum that keeps you a Muslim. What's the minimum thing that keeps you a Muslim? Shahada and la ilaha illallah and some kind of righteous deeds, the salah, your prayers, according to a difference of opinion among the scholars, you have to have your prayer there, and, and some sort of righteous deeds. Right? You can't you can't claim to be a Muslim if you say, look, I have a, I believe in Allah, but I have no righteous deeds. I, I don't have any amal salih. You have to have something. That keeps you a Muslim. And that you haven't done anything to remove you from Islam. You're a Muslim right now. You're at the basic level that you've got the bare minimum. You've got a lot of sins, a lot of shortcomings, a lot of failures, but you are in the circle. You're still there as a Muslim. To go one step further, you have to complete the obligatory deeds and stay away from all of the muharramat. Qaban, we're not going to say anyone does this perfectly. إلا الرسل الأنبياء والرسل except for the prophets and the messengers but you try you're at the stage where you're aiming to try to complete all of the things that are obligatory and keep away from all of the things which are prohibited that is what we would call Iman in the three levels in Islam Iman we're actually breaking Iman down here into Islam Iman Ihsan Iman would be that middle one and Ihsan would be that not only do you do what you have to do and keep away from what you have to keep away from, but you also do more than you have to do in terms of recommended deeds, and you also keep away from the makruhat, the things which Allah dislikes, even if it's not haram, and even some of the mubahat, some of the halal things, you keep away from them because you're frightened they might lead you to the haram. So that's ihsan. The next part in sabr relates to iman in the sense of it relates to the middle level that if you're not doing it, you are not doing what is obligatory for you to do. وَتَوَاصُوا التَّوَاصِي This is from the wasiyah. Wasiyah is like a nasiha, like an advice. But tawasi is tafa'ul. It means giving each other. Like you give me, I give you. So here there's an indication of the brotherhood of Islam and the indication of the fact that to, to get ourselves out of loss, we need to support each other. Yeah, to get ourselves out of loss, we have to support each other, tawasi. Like, I help you, you help me. 
because none of us can bring all of that that we require. None of us can bring all of Iman and all of the Amal al-Salih the Prophets and the Messengers nobody else can bring all of it everybody else can only bring some of it so if I bring a little bit and you bring a little bit and somebody else brings a little bit and we try to push each other and raise each other up then we have they're advising each other they're helping each other to do the Iman and the Amal Salih, which obviously requires knowledge, the knowledge, the righteous actions, Tawasi. They're doing that. They're... And the advice that they give one another is the truth. They're not giving each other advice upon the, the batil, the falsehood, upon the truth. The revelation from Allah Azza wa Jal, giving advice, trying to help each other to know the truth. Because nobody gathers all knowledge except any all of the knowledge of the religion except the Prophet who had the knowledge of everything that Allah revealed to him. In reality, all of us, I remember a hadith, I forget a hadith. I might memorize the book and still forget the hadith when it's said to me. You memorize one hadith, I memorize one hadith, I forgot something, you remembered it. Tafsir is like that. Like maybe went through a few books of tafsir maybe I mentioned like 10% of what they mentioned someone else comes along and does another tafsir of Surah Al-Asr and he brings 10% but probably 5% of what I said he also doesn't bring so we come together like that with the haqq each of us is supporting the other one each of us is helping the other one with the haqq with the truth not helping each other to do batik helping each other to do the truth and advising each other among at-tawasi bil-haqq is al-amr bil-ma'ruf wa-nahi al-munkar kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat lil-nas ta'amruna bil-ma'ruf wa-tanhawna an-munkar wa-tu'minuna billah you're the best people that have ever been brought out for the people you command what is good you forbid what is evil you believe in Allah so telling people to do what's good that's part of at-tawasi bil-haqq stopping people from doing things that are wrong is part of at-tawasi bil-haqq it's too much to talk about right now but just be careful one thing I will just give as a warning, when you are telling people to do good and, and stopping people from doing wrong things, make sure, number one, you're within the authority that you have, i.e. you're not uh, like physically beating someone up if you don't have the right to do that, right? Like to stop them doing something wrong. And you're not speaking without knowledge if you don't have the right to speak with, yeah, in terms of the knowledge to speak. But if you have knowledge about something, to the extent of your knowledge, you tell them. You don't go beyond that. And if you have authority, like authority over your children, you can use that authority to the extent of the authority that you've been given. The second thing is that you don't bring about a greater evil. And again, this is one of the Talbis, Talbis Iblis, one of the traps of the Shaytan for the righteous people, is that he says, look at all of this evil. And then he convinces them to do something so extreme that it brings about a bigger evil than the evil they were trying to stop. And if that's the case, then stopping the evil is haram, haram to stop the evil. It's haram to stop evil when it brings about a bigger evil than the evil that you were trying to, you were trying to stop in the first place. So just remember that, be careful about it, that whenever, on a small scale or big scale, 
you know, we could be talking about tiny scale, me and my kids, massive scale, nations, countries, the world. You can't stop something evil if it's going to bring about a bigger evil in return. That's very important. And there's a lot to talk about in that, but just to warn people, because sometimes people get excited and they want to stop evil, but they want to stop evil in a way that's more evil than even the, the evil that they're trying to, to stop. So be careful about that. So that's part of a tawasi bil haq. Part of a tawasi bil haq is a statement of the Prophet Adeen and Nasih. The religion is sincerity or sincere advice. Actually, Nasih is advice, but it, it, it can mean three things sincerity, sincere advice, and acting sincerely towards someone. I think that's the best translation I can give you for Adeen and Nasih is the religion is about acting sincerely towards people. Whether it be through advice or action or anything else, but you're, you're acting in a sincere way. You're speaking in a sincere way towards them. And Allah knows best. Ad-Dinu Nasiha qalu liman ya Rasulullah they said to whom a messenger of Allah qala lillahi wal kitabihi wa li rasulihi wa li a'immati muslimina wa ammatihim to Allah to his book, to Allah, and you're sincere, you're acting sincerely towards Allah, as though you are representing Allah's interest and you're you are acting in the way that Allah would want you to act. That's what it means. And the book, the Quran, Hussein, looking out for the Quran, preserving the Quran, protecting the Quran. Many know Allah is the one that protects it, but you are acting like that, you're behaving like that in that sincere way, those sincere actions towards it. And to his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa by at sincere advice when he was alive, sallallahu alayhi wa and taking care of his sunnah after he died, and to the leaders of the Muslims. The leaders of the Muslims have a right over us that we act sincerely towards them, we're not treacherous, and that we're not, uh, you know, backstabbing, and we're not trying to pull the rug from under people's feet, and that when we see them, or if we see people in authority, we give them sincere advice. Because usually, in all honesty, it's actually not the ruler that has the biggest influence. It's the batana, the people around. The people around who's given advice. So Allah, the Prophet said, the Ahmed al-Muslimi, the leaders of the Muslims, you give them good advice, sincere advice. You act sincerely towards them. You don't behave treacherously. him, And to all of the other Muslims, all the regular people, all of the Muslims, whoever they are. You act sincerely towards them. You're not treacherous. You give them good advice. When you have a chance, not everyone has a chance to advise a ruler, right? Not everyone gets in front of the ruler and says, okay, give me some advice. But you might be in front of someone with authority in any position, right? Someone who's a little bit above you, someone who's in charge of a, a, a department or whatever. You give them some advice. And the regular Muslims also. That's all part of a tawasi bilhaq. And among that haq, among that truth, is a sabr, advising one another and helping one another and assisting one another to be patient. And the secret in this, and Allah Jalla fi knows best, is that when you seek knowledge and you act upon it, so you brought iman, bishart, and with the condition of al-ilm, of knowledge, and you brought al-amal salih, righteous actions, 
and you told other people about them. Tawasa bil haq, you told everyone, this is a righteous action. Brother, come and pray. May Allah bless you. You know, I think it would be good if you did this. And you're doing that. What are you going to need? You're going to need sabr. You're going to need sabr. Because when you do that, you're going to get a piece of what the Prophet's got. Rejection, ridicule, attack. When you're just being genuine, being genuine with people, just being genuine with people and just trying to help people and give good advice, you're going to get some other, some harm come your way. People, are you to advise me, giving you anger, giving you problems, not listening, rejecting, just look at what you say and just ignore everything you said. Calling you names, making problems for you. You're going to need sabr. Not only that, sabr is much wider than that. Sabr is also needed in your iman. In order to preserve your iman, preserving your iman, because iman goes up with good deeds and down with bad deeds requires sabr. Doing good deeds requires sabr. How much sabr? Five times a day you come to the masjid, five times every day in the masjid. You do your adhkar afterwards, it needs sabr, patience. Keeping away from the haram requires sabr. Haram is there. Your soul wants it, it craves it, but I'm not going to do it. Requires sabr. Giving people advice requires sabr. All of this surah requires sabr, right? Requires patience. And that's why some of the scholars, they divided patience into three types. Patience in doing good deeds and patience in avoiding sins and patience in what Allah decrees for you when you do that. Whatever Allah has decreed. Something which is hard for you, easy for you, something which is comfortable for you or uncomfortable for you. Whatever Allah has decreed, but you have that, that sabr with it. And you work not only for sabr, but towards a rida, contentment. That, you know, Allah, you're the best one who can choose for me what's going to happen to me. So I'm totally trusting you for what you choose for me, that it's, it's going to be an opportunity for me to do good. Whatever, even if it's uncomfortable, like poverty or sickness. I don't wish for sickness. I don't wish for poverty. I don't raise my hands and say, oh, Allah, make me poor, make me sick. But whatever comes to me from the decree of Allah while I'm making dua for wealth and I'm making dua for health and I'm making dua for success, whatever hardship comes my way, I know Allah chose it for me. And I know Allah chose it for me because it's the best opportunity for me to get close to Him. So I'm going to be content with that and have sabr with it. And content and riba, be happy with it because I know that Allah chose it for me and He's Arham al-Rahimin, the most merciful of those who show mercy. So I know that he's chosen it for me because it's a good opportunity for me. It might not be good in of itself. Like, for example, if you just looked at it on its own, like, oh, I just became really sick. It's not good. If you look at it, just very narrow lens like that, just zoom in on it and nothing else. I got sick. I might die. I might not be able to pray properly. I might not be able to stand to pray. I might not be able to pray in the jama'ah. But when you look with the wide lens, you open up your view to everything that's going to happen to you. There's opportunities in that for you to get closer to Allah, better than the opportunities of you being healthy at that one time, because Allah chose it for you. And Allah chose it for you because it's the best opportunity and that requires a sabr. Al-Imam al-Shafi'i said about the surah, 
if nothing was revealed to the people other than this surah, it would be enough for them. And wallahi sadaq, he told the truth. That if the only thing Allah revealed to the people is surah al-asr, akafatu. It's enough for them. It's more than enough for them. Whole religion of Islam, surah al-asr. And that brings me to the story of Musaylam al-Kadhab. Because Amr ibn al-As, He came to Musaylama al-Kaddab and this is after the Prophet became a Prophet and uh, before Amr became a Muslim So he said, you know, what's, uh, what's the latest basically? Musaylama, he said, give me, give me the latest. He said, لَقَدْ أُنزِلَ عَلَيْهِ سُورَةٌ وَجِيزَةٌ بَلِيغًا there's a surah which has been revealed to him, which is wajiza. It's very small in words, and it's baligha. It has so many meanings. Musaylama, he said, Mahi, what is it? So he recites Surah Al-Asr. For Musaylama started thinking. He said, me too. I got one too. Also, Surah came to me as well. So Amr said to him, Mahu, go on, bring your surah that got revealed to you. I don't even know if I can. He said, Ya Wabar, Ya Wabar, Innama anta adnani wa sadr. Udhunani, Innama anta adnani wa sadr. That's what he recited. I, I don't know if I recited even read it properly. I mean, like, if, if that's how it is, but he's talking about an animal that has, has big ears. That, that animal, I don't know what you call it. And then he says that, you know, that you, the only thing about you is you have two ears and a chest. He says, oh, Allah, Allah, there's nothing in you except two ears and a chest. Look at the ridiculous thing that he's saying. And there's, he just found a rhyme. He just made a rhyme to try to make it similar to Surah Al-Asr. So he said, he tried to make this thing, he said, and he, he just made this silly rhyme about something that has two big ears. So Amr, he said to him, Wallahi, innaka ta'alamu anni a'lam annaka takdib. He said, Wallah, even you know that I know you're lying. And he was not Muslim. He said, even you know that I know, everybody knows you're lying. Like, come on. Look at Surah Al-Asr, look at the meanings, the depth, the whole religion. And look at what the alternative is. Two ears, two big ears. Four big ears, two big ears. You have nothing but two big ears and a chest. That was the, that was the alternative. And that has a benefit. The reason I, I, I read that uh, to you is that it has a benefit in whenever you hear these people say, you know, you hear sometimes like so and so, they've produced a surah like the surah of the Quran. Have you, anyone can rhyme words. Musaylam al-Kadhab can rhyme, rhyme words, admittedly not very well, but he, he could rhyme the words. He made some words rhyme in sort of a similar kind of pattern to Surah Al-Asr. But that is nothing like the speech of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Not in the words chosen, not in the style, not in the sentences, not in the order, not in the meanings, not in the, in the rhythm even of the words. 
because it finishes early like like it's just it's just like it doesn't even follow the pattern like Surah Al-Asr does it's not similar to the speech of Allah in anything and that's one of the things I really think you should focus on the, the miraculous nature of the Quran one of the mu'jizat or al-ijaz in the Quran is the fact that the, when you hear the Quran you know straight away it's from Allah really like you you never ever like it, so you walk into a let's say a store or a shop and there's music playing and you never accidentally think it's the Quran or there's never a nasheed playing and you accidentally think the nasheed is the Quran ever never because the speech of Allah is completely different from the speech of his creation totally different you can instantly know that this is Kalamullah this is Kalamullah Abdullah ibn Amr here or sorry Amr ibn Amr not Abdullah ibn Amr uh, Amr ibn Amr radiallahu anhu I was quoting as if it's Abdullah ibn Amr Amr ibn Amr Amr even knew his life Amr was not even a Muslim he's a polytheist worshipping idols he said, even I know your line. Come on, man. You know, if you're going to come up with something, I mean, even you know that I know that everyone knows your line. They just... And then later on, he became Muslim. Radiallahu uh, anhu. Became, he became Muslim after that, subhanAllah. So this is also something that you can really, you know, you can really uh, take from it or understand from it. The, the beauty that this Quran contains and the depth of meaning but even in the language, even in the, even in the way the words match each other, you still can't even find anyone who can even do that, let alone bring the meanings along with the words. You can't even find anyone who can match the style or the words or the choice of words or the way the words are matched up, let alone the meanings that those words contain. That's what Allah made it easy for me to mention. That was a long lesson, but it was our last, our last one for this term. I don't know, perhaps Allah will make it easy for me to come and continue with another term. I'm not sure about that at the moment. At the moment, I'm spending a lot of time in the UK right now, back and forward between the UK and Dubai. But I hope that if Allah makes it easy, we can come and give some classes. And I'm hoping that I wish the program will continue. And if it does continue in one way or another, that, uh, you know, inshallah, I could have a part in that in some way or another, inshallah. That's what Allah made it easy for me to mention. There's a lot more to be said and a lot more to research. I just give you an introduction to some of these surahs. Alhamdulillah, we finished all the way to Surah Al-Asr by the grace of Allah and His mercy. Uh, and uh, inshallah, that is what Allah has made easy for me to mention. Allah Jalla Fi'ala knows best. Wa salatu wa salamu ala bin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Just to remind everyone again that the exam details for those who are registered will be posted by Jabriyat Al-Dir on their uh, WhatsApp groups and so on. I'm not sure what those are. I don't have access to them. But I will do my best to put the same questions after the exam, not before the exam, on YouTube, inshallah. for watching. Please subscribe, share, and you can visit muhammadtim.com.